0: Thank you. Thank you Redlands Academy too for that beautiful, beautiful worship. Wasn't that amazing? Thank you. I really felt led into the presence of God through your music today. Thank you. And I'm especially excited that the Holy Spirit led you to do Be Thou My Vision because that's our theme for our vision night tonight. And so hearing it today just feels significant. You know, as we talk tonight, we're gonna be sharing about the vision for the Elias Community Center and all the different developments and doing show and tell with the kitchen and Be Thou My Vision is our theme. So thank you so much for that. It is good to see each of you here today. Would you pause and pray as we open the word of God together? Thank you, God, for your presence, thank you for how you speak. I know you have a message to share with each one of us, so would you remove distractions from our minds and hearts right now? And allow us to hear from you? We're saying like Samuel, speak, Lord. We're your children and we're listening. In Jesus' name, amen. I love spontaneous fun. Anyone else? Like, hey, let's go get taro boba right now. Or, hey, let's run across the street and go get some Thai food. Doesn't that sound amazing? Yes, my spontaneous fun usually revolves around food, yes. Because food is so fun. Uh, Yeah, it's great, right? And now you're hungry, sorry. Uh, Spontaneity in those settings is great to me. You know, even just like, hey, let's go pick this hike. Caleb and I will wake up sometimes and this feels like a San Diego day, does it to you? All right, let's go. Or let's go to the Painted Canyon, let's hike. So we do stuff like that. I love that kind of spontaneity. But the weightier decisions, the major life decisions, I want to know the plan before I leap. I want to know more details. God, would you give me more instruction so that I can understand where we're going before I take the first step. Anyone else? You want to know more of the plan before you set out on the path? I have to remind myself that I can feel more than one thing. I can feel ready and also nervous. I can feel eager to move forward and also still afraid. Uh, All the different people that have done great things, that was their experience. I was listening to this amazing woman who's a fighter pilot and was like the only female in that arena, and she was saying, you know, people get this wrong. They think that because we're doing these things, we're not afraid. We do it with fear. We move forward anyway. I was inspired to think of that. It's like this uh, preacher, famous preacher in a time gone by, Pastor Charles Spurgeon, he says it this way. Any person can sing in the daytime, but only the man of faith can sing in the night. When you don't see, when the path isn't clear, when you don't know all the steps before you start to take the first one, what does it look like to walk forward in faith when it's still dark? What does it look forward to move? What does it look to move forward before you know all the steps? I don't think I'm alone in just feeling like I want a little bit more information. Um, and we also find in the Word of God that the people of God had this experience. You see, God gave them this huge vision. We're in this series on the book of Ezra, and this is only part two. And God gave this big vision to rebuild the temple. He set them free from captivity. This wasn't leading them out of Egypt. This was leading them out of Babylonian exile, leading them out of the bondage they were in. But God not only freed them, he gave them a vision and he provided the means to accomplish that vision. He resourced them for building the temple. And this is what we focused on last week. I want you to repeat it with me too. Whatever God calls you to do, He'll give you the means to accomplish it. Let's try that one last time. Whatever God calls you to, God gives you the means to accomplish it. The people around them, their neighbors, were giving them gold and silver and livestock and everything they needed to go rebuild the temple. That's what God said. I'll give you the vision, but I'll also give you what you need to make it happen. So as the people of God moved forward in faith, they were given this vision, this dream, this goal of rebuilding the temple, and it was going to alter their lives. You have to remember that the temple was not only a sacred space of worship, it was also the center of their community. It was the place where they made pilgrimage, the place where they met with God, the place where they knew their identity as children of God, the place where they felt belonging. That's what the temple was to them and God called them to this vision to rebuild the temple and then he gave them the means to do it. In order to build what God had planned, they had to let go of their grip on what God had done in the past. They had to let go of the past in order to move forward into the future. So they returned to Jerusalem and they started the journey. I love that Pastor Starla shared with you some of the surrounding factors that were going on and all that they faced there, just a taste of that. Let's pick up the story in Ezra chapter three, verse one. Thank you, Sophia, for reading our scripture today. Ezra chapter three, verse one. When the seventh month came and the Israelites had settled in their towns, the people assembled with one accord in Jerusalem. Then Joshua son of Zosadak and his fellow priests and Zerubbabel son of Shealtiel and his associates began to build the altar of God to the God of Israel to sacrifice burnt offerings on it in accordance with what is written in the law of Moses, the man of God. Despite their fear of the people around them, they built the altar on its foundation and sacrificed burnt offerings on it to the Lord Both the morning and evening sacrifices. Then in accordance with what is written, they celebrated the festival of tabernacles with required number of burnt offerings prescribed for each day. After that, they presented the regular burnt offerings, the new moon sacrifices, and the sacrifices for all the appointed sacred festivals of the Lord, as well as those brought as freewill offerings to the Lord. On the first day of the seventh month, they began to offer burnt offerings to the Lord, though the foundation of the Lord's temple had not yet been laid. Notice what the people of God do here. Before the foundation of the temple is laid, worship began. The people joined their voices and their hearts in worshiping God before they even had a house of worship. I think this is something the pandemic taught us that I hope we don't forget. Worship is not contained to a building. No matter how sacred that space, worship is not contained to a temple or a church. Worship began here before there was a structure around them. The people's hearts and voices were lifted up to God and it began with the altar of praise. Before there was even a foundation to that temple, the altar was the first place they started. They restored the altar of praise. They started with worship. Before you see clearly where you're going, before you see the means to accomplish what God has called you to, before you see the answer that you are right now longing for, the invitation of Scripture is to enter into praise, to join in worship, to pour out your heart to God. Join in worship before you see the vision fulfilled, before you see what God has called you to take reality join in worship now notice what first three says despite their fear the people were afraid of the people around them the children of god were terrified because there was pressure inside and outside there was strain and stress they were afraid but despite their fear despite their fear they moved forward Many of us here right now are waiting for our fear to go away before we move ahead. The doubts and what-ifs plague us, and we say, when fear is gone, I will move forward. Perhaps the only word from the Lord for you today is move forward, my child. Trust me. That might be what God wants you to hear. You've been waiting on a particular thing. You know what God is calling you to next and you just need the encouragement to say, go forward, don't wait for fear to be gone in order to move on. God is waiting for us to say, despite my fear, I will move ahead. Despite my fear, I'll build an altar of praise right here. Would you say that with me? Despite my fear, I'll build an altar of praise right here. Despite my fear, I'll build an altar of praise right here. Because an altar of praise, that altar was the first step of faithfulness. It's not the whole path. It's not the whole vision. It's not everything coming to be. But it's the first faithful step towards the vision God had called them to. Despite their fear, the people said, we claim this place the vision that God called us to. So God is waiting for us as children of God to say, I'm not going to let fear hinder me from moving forward. Don't wait for fear to be gone in order to step onto that path that God has called you to. This isn't just something relegated to seniors in high school or seniors in college. There's all different stages where we can let fear hold us back from what we know God is calling us to. When the temple foundation then started this process of rebuilding, they assigned different people to the task. Turn with me to Ezra chapter 3. And there, of course, you find that they gave money to the masons and carpenters, and they gave olive oil, and they, they allowed them to start forward with this work. We pick it up in verse 10. When the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord... The priests in their vestments with trumpets and the Levites, the sons of Asaph, with symbols, took their place to praise the Lord as prescribed by David, king of Israel. With praise and thanksgiving, they sang to the Lord, he is good. His love toward Israel endures forever. Do you hear Psalm 136 echoed? That whole psalm that his love endures forever, his love endures forever. They started rejoicing and singing this praise to God. And all the people gave a great shout of praise to the Lord because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. But many of the older priests and Levites and family heads who had seen the former temple wept aloud when they saw the foundation of this temple being laid while many others shouted for joy. No one could distinguish the sound of the shouts of joy from the sound of weeping, because the people made so much noise, and the sound was heard from far away. When the temple stones are laid, when the foundation is there, there's this different reaction. The Depending on what generation you're from, you have a different reaction according to this text. The young people, the generations that had not known the former temple, were rejoicing and shouting and celebrating. But the older generation, the one who had seen the former temple, they were weeping. Why? How can one very same event trigger such different reactions in different people? For some deep joy and for others deep sadness. Have you ever been weeping while those around you are rejoicing? Have you ever had that feeling, kind of lost in a crowd, out of sync with what's happening around you? You're just like, I don't feel this at all. Someone who had just lost their mother was at the birthday party, a milestone birthday for a friend's mother. They said, everyone else is celebrating and I just feel like my heart is crying. Have you ever had that feeling of being out of sync with those around you? Notice that what God is working in this time and place elicits a different reaction depending on the generation you're from. I wonder today, does the past so cloud our present today? Are there times when we can't look at what is happening right now and rejoice because we're still comparing it to something that happened before? The past blocking our view? Well, there's a few reasons that they could have been weeping. First, it could have been that laying the foundation stone caused the older priest to feel the grief of what they'd lost. Remember what they had just been through? They had been through it. And so seeing the stone laid brought up the trauma of what they had been through, and they're weeping because they now finally realize what they have just been through. Or it could be, that they knew the work that was up ahead of them. They had seen this before. They lost the shiny optimism of their youth and now they knew what would be up ahead. It could be that they were afraid to begin again, like staring at a blank canvas or the blink, blink, blink of the cursor on the blank word document or pages document on your computer. Do you ever get that feeling, that you're just like, overwhelmed by starting, beginning the first class of a degree. Someone said, yes, I'm registered. And I'm like, why don't you seem excited? Because I registered for a a course, but I know the doctor of physical therapy will take me years. So I see my life stretched out before my eyes. You have to have courage to start. You have to have courage to begin again. For those of you who have retooled and, and developed new careers midlife, you know that feeling, that, that starting again, it takes courage to start again. Perhaps you've stepped forward in relationship and you made yourself vulnerable and you invested deeply and then you got hurt. You felt devastated. It's easier to close off, circle the wagons and just determine, I'm not opening up again. Again. Someone was describing to me, this church is so friendly. I was there in the Sabbath school halls, and I love the people. And I was like, oh, that's wonderful. And I've been hurt by a church before, so it's really hard for me. It's hard for me to imagine we can decide to close up. It takes courage to open up and start again, doesn't it? Perhaps you got let go and after pouring your heart and sweat and blood into a company, giving it all you got, you're not sure if you can do this again. You'll just work and take a paycheck, thank you. Forget the passion, forget the mind, heart, and energy pouring in. Or perhaps you've had the experience of thinking you could make a difference. That you pour your heart into a person or a cause or something that you thought would matter and it didn't turn out like you thought it would. We can end up being numb to the possibility that our actions and our words have the significance that we thought they did before. It takes courage to start again. They stood here right on the edge. It's only the foundation that's laid. It's only the altar there. They don't see much of the path before them. It's not like the vision is complete. It's gonna take some time. Henry Nouwen describes courage this way. He says, courage does not require spectacular gestures. Courage often starts in small corners. Small acts of courage, friends. Like the courage to call someone when you need help. Like the courage to say yes to serving in an area where you're gifted even when you feel fear of failure, like the courage to take a nap when you desperately need to rest, or the courage to turn off Netflix at the end of the day when you're exhausted but you know it's not helping you to tune out in that way. The courage to get up and try again, believing God's mercies are new every morning and that tomorrow can be different than today. The courage to say no to a toxic relationship or a toxic influence, the courage to believe that the vision God has given you can become a reality. These people of God that stood on the edge of this foundation had courage. But this is also true, what Brene Brown says. She says that there is no courage without vulnerability. What if I fail, what if it doesn't work out, what if? Those are vulnerabilities. Perhaps that's why the people of God who were setting out for something big, this vision God had given them, restoring the temple, perhaps that's why weeping and rejoicing was right alongside each other, because it's the vulnerability of the people of God moving forward in faithfulness to what God had called them to. So this feeling two things at the same time, this courage to take the next faithful step, even though... It certainly takes vulnerability. So if you feel vulnerable, yes, of course you do because courage takes vulnerability. Despite my fear, I'll build an altar of praise right here. That's what the people said. That's what the call to action of this scripture is, that despite your fear, take the next faithful step. One last option for why they wept. I think perhaps they were seeing that finally, they had seen what God promised. Finally, it was the fulfillment. It had been a hard road. Have you ever come to graduation and felt like you're really celebrating but you're also crying because you made it? And that goes for the parents too because you finally made it to your kid's graduation and you're crying and rejoicing all at the same time? Or I had a, fr- had a person that I knew well that we had prayed and prayed for a spouse. And so at their wedding, like I was crying because seriously, we had prayed for this person and now here they were together. And every time I saw them together, it was just so moving because you're seeing the fulfillment. Some of you, I look in your eyes, grandparents and parents, when you're seeing your kid baptized up there, you're crying tears, you're weeping sometimes because of joy they saw the fulfillment. I think there was a blend of all of it, this experience of the people of God coming in vulnerability to the edge of what God was calling them to, the beginning of the road, the next faithful step, the start of the journey, the fulfillment of what God was beginning in them, trusting that he who promised was faithful. Reminds me, of a story. In June 1859, Jean Francois, known as the Great Blondin, he went across Niagara Falls for the first time, and he did this so many times throughout his career, 1,100 feet across. He did it tightrope walking across, and of course, crowds were drawn in by this, he did it with dramatic flair, of course, sometimes being blindfolded. Sometimes he even carried his manager on his back, piggyback across. He did all sorts of crazy stuff. Well, one time he was there and he had the wheelbarrow and, oh, he did it on stilts too. Isn't that insane? He had a wheelbarrow and he had a sack of cement in it And he was talking to a reporter in the crowd that had gathered, and he turned to the reporter and he said, do you believe that I can take this across and come back? And he's like, oh, of course. I've seen what you do. You can do it. Do you believe I could put a man in here instead of the sack of cement? And he's like, of course you can. I've watched you for all this time. You can do anything. Get in. (laughs) I'll write about it. Thank you very much. No thanks. That's what God says to us. Right? We're like all, I'm afraid, I'm afraid. God's like, I've given you a vision. Get in. Let's go. Don't wait to be unafraid. Don't wait for that feeling to be gone. Just get in and trust me because I'm taking you places. I'm taking you somewhere, and I know where I'm calling you to, and I am faithful. The one who calls you, who began a good work in you, will carry it to completion. He hasn't forgotten. He's been the one in charge of your journey from the beginning. Get in, God says. Get in. For some of you, you just need to write that word on your mirror. Get in. Trust me, God is saying. God says, trust me. Here's what I want you to know today. We can't wait for fear to be removed in order to move forward with the next faithful step God has called us to. We can't wait for fear to be gone. The first step towards any vision is praise. The first step towards any vision is establish your altar of praise. I love that story Elder Lisa shared, that jar, uh, that altar that they called, this jar is our altar. Write out the things God has told you. Write out the things, the ways that you have seen God work. So many of you raised your hand last week when I said, do you have a dream or a vision God has given you? And some people from home uh, that watched it later or were at home, they said, I was raising my hand there too. So many of you have a dream for your family, for your life, for your business, for a ministry God has called you to. Don't wait until you're unafraid to step forward in the next step he's called you to. We cannot wait for fear to be removed. Despite my fear, even with all the reservations and doubts and what-ifs and things that plague us, despite my fear, I'll build an altar of praise right here. So you're afraid of commitment. You're afraid you won't have enough if you start to give You're afraid that it won't work out if you try. Take the next faithful step. Build an altar of praise. Take the next faithful step in spite of all the unknowns. I need to remind myself of this all the time, that the presence of fear does not mean that there's not other emotions and other things we can grab hold of. We can feel two things at the same time. Here the people of God were, fear and worship, rejoicing and weeping, hope and despair, courage and anxiety. Just because you have one of those feelings, fear, anxiety, despair, wondering if it's gonna make a difference, wondering if it matters, just because that's there does not mean that you cannot equally feel hope and courage and readiness to step forward. Call on the one who is calling you to fulfill that vision. Hold both intention at the same time. Say, I'm feeling all sorts of fear. And at the same time, I'm feeling trust. All sorts of fear. And yet, here I am to worship. Here I am to bow down before you. Imagine what the world would be like if the people of God knew what they were called to and took the next faithful step despite their fear. Well, what it would look like is helping those that are in your sphere of influence to help. It would mean stepping out to engage our community needs even though we're overwhelmed by the need and the resources that we have to meet that need. It would mean offering to that person who's just poured out their pain to you, can I pray with you from a place of love and compassion even though you're afraid that they will reject your offer? It's inviting someone to come and get to know Jesus with you. It's stepping forward to say, I can't help everyone in this way, but I do have the money to help this one in this way. So I'm going to help this one like I wish I could help everybody else. It's offering what you have and having the courage to know that it matters. It's like Hebrews 10 invites us to do as a community. It says, consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day, capital D, approaching. Keep showing up the scripture says. Spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Keep loving. Keep going the extra mile. Keep doing that thing that you can do because it matters. In order to rebuild the way that God had called them to, the vision God had called the people of God to, he brought the people down to the foundations. If you find yourself feeling like, what in the world is going on in my life? I feel like I've been stripped down, like I don't even know which way is up anymore. You're in the perfect place. I know it feels vulnerable, but you're in the perfect place for God fulfilling God's perfect plan in your life. God says to us today, reminding us what God reminded the people of then, I have blessed you to be a blessing Don't forget your call. I've blessed you to be a blessing. You are a sweet fragrance among the people, drawing them to Jesus. You are my child. I have a plan and a purpose and intention for your life. In order to go where God is calling us to go, we must let go of where we have been and declare today, in spite of my fear, we're called, God, to build an altar of praise right here, calling to take the next faithful step. And that promise of God is the blessing that I want to pray over you to bless you with. Do not fear, God says to you. Hear this about your own situation, about your next step towards your next degree or towards that certification you felt led to, or saying yes to that volunteer position, or someone who felt impressed to say I love you to someone, but they are so terrified of commitment, or someone else that needed the courage today, this morning for service to say I forgive you to someone that they have been holding on to something against for a very long time. When you see all, whatever that next step is you're called to, God says this to you, do not fear. I am with you. Do not be dismayed. I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. You can keep repeating that Isaiah 41:10. Keep repeating that. Maybe that goes on your mirror too. Get in and hear, I am here with you. I'm here for it, God says because I will help you. Sure, you've been taken down to the foundations. The church looks like it's been taken down to the foundations. Look out and see Christianity is in a fighting battle in this way, but yet God says, as you stand on the edge, don't fear, I'm with you. I'm fulfilling my work in you. I promise to sustain you. One final quote from Charles Spurgeon, he says this, God will have no strength used in his battles, but the strength which he himself imparts. Are you mourning over your own weakness? Do you just look out and say, like, I don't have all that I need. I don't have what it takes. Take courage, for there must be a consciousness of weakness before the Lord will give you victory. Your emptiness is but the preparation for you being filled. And your casting down is but the making ready for your lifting up. When it's all been stripped away, just know that God is about to raise you up. You just have to be willing to take the next faithful step in spite of your fear. Imagine what it would look like if we, the church, stepped forward in this way. What would it look like in this world if we did take those steps in spite of the problems we face? Together, I invite you to declare, despite my fear, I'll build an altar of praise right here.